This morning we are continuing in our series through the book of Genesis. We will be in Genesis 31, uh, 17, starting in verse 17, and looking at Jacob as he prepares to leave and then leaves his uncle, his uncle's house and seeks to return to his homeland to his father. Uh, before we read the text, I'm going to share a story um, that relates to the text this morning about a man named Ben Scholes. Uh, ben Scholes rose to fame in 2005 and became a meme on the internet. He is more prominently known as Leroy Jenkins. Um, a few people might recognize that name. Um, there is a online strategy game that Ben was playing with about 15 other people all in their homes and they were coming up with a strategy to raid this fortress and Ben steps away from his computer to get some chicken while his friends create this complex and deep strategy and they're crunching numbers figuring out how are they going to attack this fortress. Ben returns with a plate full of chicken, yells Leroy Jenkins and just runs right into the building ignoring their plan and throwing everything out the window. It ruins the hard work that they put into that point, and any chance they had of actually taking the fortress is just wiped out. And Leroy Jenkins has become kind of a meme for somebody that just rushes in and ruins everybody else's plans. And that's what we encountered a little bit today with uh, Rachel and Jacob. God has this immense plan for Jacob, and Jacob is carrying out this plan, and he, Rachel is going to make a decision that throws the entire plan into jeopardy. Everything could go out the window. And so today we're going to see what, how do we respond when someone around us, either their sin or their um, actions against us, seem to ruin God's plan for us or ruin maybe our plans for ourselves. So would you join with me as we read, uh, starting in Genesis chapter 31, with verse 17. So up to this point, God has appeared to Jacob and given him the instruction to go, uh, to go back to his homeland, to where his fathers are in the land of Canaan. And so in verse 17, we read, So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Padan Aram to go to the land of Canaan, to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him that he intended to flee. And he fled with all that he had, and arose and crossed the Euphrates, and set his face towards the hill country of Gilead. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days. Followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pinched his, pitched his tent in the hill country and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban came to Jacob and said, What have you done that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the swords? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have set, sent you away with mirth and songs, with tambourine and lyre? 
And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm, but, God, but the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone away because you long greatly for your father's house, but why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your men, any, anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So if we recall God's command back in verse 3 of chapter 31, God appears to Jacob and tells him to leave. And so Jacob is acting out of obedience when he leaves. But he chooses an interesting strategy for the way that he leaves. Um, He sneaks away in the middle of the night. And the way that um, we read it, it says that Jacob tricked Laban. The actual Hebrew there means that he stole the heart. And in fact, the word stole appears throughout this text every time something is being stolen from Laban. Rachel steals the gods. Jacob steals the heart away. And there's going to be animals that come and steal his flocks later on. Laban is on the negative end of all the stealing that is happening. And Jacob steals his heart away when he leaves with all of his daughters, who were Jacob's wives, and all of Laban's grandchildren, without a word, never to be seen again. Jacob tells Laban why he snuck away. So we don't have to wonder what was Jacob's plan or why did he decide to do it that way. He says that he snuck away because I was afraid for I thought you would take your daughters from me by force. Jacob sneaks away out of fear. He decides to leave his current living situation out of fear, not necessarily the best of circumstances, to run away. Now, Jacob didn't sin by taking anything. Everything that he took with him belonged to him that he had rightly served Laban 20 years for. There's no sin there. But his sin is in the way that he leaves. He acts out of fear and not trust. His sin is a lack of faith. God had called him to go, and if God calls him to go, God promised that he would be with him as he went. God promised that he would bring him back to the land of his fathers. But yet Jacob, lacking faith, leaves without a word, afraid of what Laban would do if he found out. When God calls us to walk in obedience, when he gives us commands like Jacob, we might be afraid. We might be afraid of other people and what they will think about us, and so we allow our fear of others to dictate the way that we obey God. So we might be afraid of what they will think, and so we don't talk to them openly about what God is calling us to do. We just go about it without sharing. We try to keep things hidden because we think they won't understand, and we're afraid of them. Or we might be afraid, like Jacob, that they'll try to stop us from obeying God. There might be people that you have in life um, who would encourage you to disobey God, would encourage you to not listen to what God has commanded you to do. And so out of fear, you might not tell them what you're doing. The way that we respond to others should be out of a, out of a spirit of trust and faith in God and not fear. There might be times where it's wise to obey God and not let other things other people know if God specifically tells you to do something without talking to others. 
So it is not always the case that we need to go and broadcast to everybody. This is what God has told me to do. But we shouldn't be ashamed or hide either out of fear. Jacob could have left and not told Laban because God told him to, but that's not the case. That's not what the text says. He also could have left because he felt that was the wise thing to do and he was acting out of wisdom, but that's not what Jacob does. Jacob responds specifically out of fear. It was fear and a lack of faith. And so when God calls us to obey, we should respond in faith, trusting that if God has called us to something, he will provide a way to make it happen. So even despite Jacob's fear, God protects him. (coughs) Laban is on his way to do what Jacob was afraid of, to take away Jacob's wives and his children and to force Jacob to stay, to keep Jacob from obeying God. But God steps in and encounters Laban and warns him not to say anything to Jacob, good or bad. Now, You heard Laban speak, and Laban's going to have a lot more to say. He doesn't exactly follow God's command to not say anything. But specifically, when God adds that caveat, do not say anything good or bad, he is instructing Laban not to make a judgment. Do not judge Jacob. Do not declare what he is doing to be good or to be bad. And do not force him one way or the other. God is telling Laban that he no longer has the authority over Jacob to judge him and to tell him what is right and what is wrong. And God steps in because he knew the heart of Laban. Laban himself says that his intent was to harm Jacob in verse 29. He says, it is in my power to do you harm. Laban knew that he had the the manpower and the ability to harm Jacob for what he did to him, to stop him, to keep him from returning to the land of his fathers and taking Laban's daughters and grandchildren away from him. But God steps in and God protects Jacob. God shows to Jacob that he is able to protect him from those that would intentionally come and try to stop God's plan. God is capable of overthrowing any of the schemes of man. So this is true also in our lives. That the harmful intentions of those around us are no match against God's sovereign plan. Now this doesn't mean that we're not going to be affected by other people that they can't do anything that's going to harm us or hurt us or that they have, they have no ability to ruin your plans. I'm sure you all have lived enough life to know that other people can destroy your plans very quickly. That's why it's really important to trust in God's plan and not our own plan. Because the schemes of man will never be able to stand up against God's sovereign plan. There might be times, though, when it feels like it. It feels like God was leading you down a certain path and then somebody else stands in the way and stops God, what you thought was God's plan from coming to fruition. But God is still in control. He is sovereign over all, meaning that there's nothing that anyone can do to stop God. And we see this in Jacob. We see God stepping in and appear to Laban to warn him not to harm Jacob. But now what about Rachel? When we left off reading the story, there's an interesting predicament. Rachel has stolen these household gods. These would have been little statues or idols that Laban would have worshipped or thought that they brought him good luck or um, prosperity. 
Um, also, we learned earlier that Laban practices divination, so likely these are the gods or the means by which he's practicing divination. And Rachel takes them away. She steals the household idols. And so now Jacob is in possession of something that does not belong to him, and he makes this bold statement that anyone who's found with these idols will be put to death. Is Jacob going to be forced to put his own wife, not just, he has two wives, one of them is his favorite, Rachel, and the other one is the one that he was tricked into marrying, Leah. His favorite wife, Rachel, is the one that he's going to have to put to death because of her sin. Rachel is trying to get the blessing and the good fortune of her father by taking these idols. She is portrayed throughout um, her story as the Jacoba, the female Jacob. She makes so many decisions and um, deceptions that perfectly align with Jacob and his earlier years and the way that he lied and deceived, deceived. Just like Jacob lied and deceived his own father to try to get the blessing, here Rachel is lying and deceiving, stealing from her own father in order to get his blessing, his prosperity, in the form of these little gods that mean nothing. And so we wonder, what was the consequence of this sin going to have? Because Jacob has already said that she is going to be put to death. Will this impede Jacob's ability to return? Will he have to go back to the land and live with Laban because of his wife's sin? Sometimes we might not be concerned about people that are intentionally acting in harmful ways against us, um, but it's sin of other people and the way that their sin impacts us. Um, and this is especially true for people that are in your camp, we will say. Um, in your camp meaning family, close friends, people that are very near to you that have a large impact on your life. Their sin and the consequences of their sin impact us the most. For example, um, every day there's untold violence, illegal activity that's carried out by the gangs in the city of Chicago. And this sin rarely impacts my life. I don't feel the impact of the consequence of their sin, of their violence, of the murder, of the drug trafficking on a day-to-day -day basis. Maybe the time that I feel it the most is if I ever travel to Chicago and I'm just a little bit concerned about where I'm going. Or one time I was in Chicago and we had to get to the airport at about two o'clock in the morning and so we rode the L train back to the airport and encountered a fight in the middle of the train. At that point, I'm like, okay, the sin of these people in Chicago and what was most likely people that were associated with some gangs or some unruly group was impacting my life and causing me a great amount of disturbance and fear of whether or not I'm going to make it to the airport or not. But typically on the everyday, it doesn't impact me. But it is the people in our lives, our spouses, our children, that impact us so greatly Imagine the difference of an impact it would have if your spouse was caught um, embezzling thousands of dollars from their work. That would have an immense impact on your life. They would most likely lose their job if not go to jail and completely change the course of your life. Because of their close proximity, their sin impacts us all the more greatly. And the fear can be is that their sin will ruin God's plan for your life. And that's what we see in the life of Jacob. It appears like Rachel's sin is going to stop God's plan from coming to fruition.
So let's continue reading and see how this plays out as Jacob has put a death sentence on Rachel without realizing it. We pick up in verse 33. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent, into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let not my lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household gods. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us two. These 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried. I have not eaten the rams of your flock. What was torn or what was stolen by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether it was stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was. By day the heat consumed me, the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I have been in your house. I have served you fourteen years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Rachel gets away. She doesn't get caught. She again pulls another Jacob move and deceives her father. This time, if you remember back when Jacob lied to Isaac, one of the deceptions is that he put the goat skin on his um, hand or the fur so that his arms would feel hairy like Esau's. And so as Isaac felt, he was deceived. And the same word is used here. As Laban felt around the tent, he was deceived and did not find the idols. But why didn't God punish Rachel? Why did she get away? Because there's other places in Scripture where we see almost identical stories play out where somebody promises death on someone who's caught stealing or other circumstances, and they die. What is different here? The first thing that's different is God shows grace. Absolutely, Rachel deserved the consequences of her sin, but God shows her mercy and grace and does not bring the consequence and the judgment right away on her. God is protecting his plan from Jacob from the consequences of Rachel's sin. And so Jacob is able to move forward without the consequences impeding God's plan. God is protecting Jacob through all of this. And Rachel receives God's grace. But ultimately, the wages of sin are death. And the consequences of not just this sin, but the rest of the sin in Rachel's life is death which she experiences in a few chapters as she gives birth to Benjamin. This death isn't directly related to any sin, but yet it is, as we've seen throughout the book of Genesis, a stark reminder that sin brings death. So she suffers the ultimate consequence as everyone in her genealogy before her 
They were born, they lived, and they died. After Rachel gets off scot-free from any sort of ramifications of her sin, Jacob is furious. And he lets Laban know. He mentions to Laban all the integrity, the way that he has served Laban all these years. And despite Laban's lack of integrity, that he has changed his wages ten times, Jacob has always served him with integrity. He has never veered from his honor and his, um, his honesty. But in the end, Jacob recognizes that it's God protecting him. After all of his accusations that he brings, he closes his speech by saying, if the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you. Jacob knows that it is God that is protecting him. It's not luck. It's not good fortune. It's not his own ingenuity. It's not his own ability to, to lie, cheat, steal, and deceive. That's the old Jacob. The new Jacob knows that God is the one that is protecting him. And this transforms the way that Jacob lives his life. He no longer is worried all the time about how his interests, how what's best for him is going to be protected and how he has to go out and get it on his own. He's learning that God is a God that can be trusted. God is faithful. And when, we're, when we are walking in obedience and following God as Jacob was, nothing can thwart God's plan for us. We can trust God the way that Jacob learns to trust God. There may be seasons, though, where we experience the consequence of someone else's sin that's close to us. We don't get off um, from, we don't avoid the consequences of their sin just because we're a believer in God. We still experience it and we still deal with the pain. Because we're obeying God, it doesn't exclude us from experiencing the consequences of other sins. Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah are all people in the Bible who are obeying God when everyone around them wasn't. And they experienced the consequence of other sin as they were led into exile or sent away. So just because we're living in faith doesn't mean that all of your plans, hopes, and dreams aren't going to be impacted by someone else's sin. They might be. But God's sovereign plan it is never thwarted by the sin of others. And so while we might not understand in the midst of the suffering what God is doing, how he is working in our lives, we can rest and know that he's still in control. Imagine Jacob. He is trying to avoid this confrontation scene with Laban. That's why he left. That's why he's trying to get away. This is the consequence that he's trying to avoid. And now here he is, face to face with Laban in Gilead, out in the mountains. And not only is he having to confront Laban, there's actually sin in his camp that gives Laban the right to do him harm and to make him come back and to serve him as a slave. Jacob, or Laban had a right to accuse Jacob here. And so even though Jacob was trying to avoid the situation, God allows him to fall into this difficult situation to show him that he's still in control, that he is still sovereignly protecting. And this is going to radically transform the way that Jacob sees God as even his favorite son Joseph is sent away into slavery because of the sin of his other sons. He's going to experience pain and difficulty and shifting of his plans throughout the rest of his life. But he can trust that God is protecting. 
And God will work his plan in your life for your good and for God's glory. It might not always feel good, and it might feel like we're going through suffering, but God is working it together for good, and so we must trust him. And so after this, after Jacob makes this statement that God has protected me from Laban, we see a different man in Jacob. Let's continue reading in verse 43 through the end of the chapter. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have borne? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let, us, let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar, and Jacob said to his kinsmen, Gather stones. And they took the stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jagar Shahadutha, but Jacob called it Galid. Just to stop here, those are the same things in different languages. So Jacob, or Laban is referring to it as a heap of witness. This is a heap of rocks that's witnessing. And, Jake, and Laban is saying it in Aramaic, but Jacob is saying it in Hebrew. The same words there. Um, Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore he named it Galid and Mizpah. For he said, the Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sights. If you oppress my daughters or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, see this heap and this pillar which I have set between you and me, this heap is a witness. And the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the, father, by the fear of his father Isaac, and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose, kissed his grandchildren and his daughters, and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. At this point, we have kind of a comparison between Laban and Jacob. They have different responses based on the way that Jacob has now understood God's protection in his life. Laban is vehemently protecting what is his. If you count the number of times you see the word me and my, the daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, all that you see is mine. Laban is adamant about what belongs to him. And he wants to make this covenant in order to protect his interests, to protect what rightly he believes belongs to him. And he wants to protect himself from harm. That's why he sets up this heap and he says, Jacob, you cannot pass over this heap to do me any harm. I want to protect my own interests. In these 11 verses, Laban does practically all the talking. He kind of gives off this image of somebody that's like, and I want this and put this clause in the agreement and put this clause in and this amendment and I want all these different protections. In fact, he says a total of 101 words in the Hebrew. Now Jacob, on the other hand, has two words gather stones. While Laban is frantically spewing out this agreement, this covenant, Jacob seems to have moved on. He is done with this season of life. He is done interacting with Laban. He is ready to move forward. He doesn't have much to say, yeah, sure, Laban, whatever you want to put into this agreement, this covenant, I'm okay with, because I know that God's going to protect me. It's not this covenant that's going to protect me. 
It's not this heap of stones that's going to protect me from you. God is the one that is going to protect me. And Jacob shows his faith by offering a sacrifice and worshiping God. In Jacob, we see a man who is not concerned about his own interests, about his own rights, what he has, what he needs to protect. He now trusts God. and He's just ready to move. This is a sign that you really have faith in God and that you aren't fearful of others or the way that their sin will impact God's plan for you. That you really trust God that what he is doing is when you can just sit back and say, come what may, it's all right. Because I believe in God and he will provide. So if you live like Jacob and not like Laban, that's a sign that you are trusting in God. But if your life more reflects Laban, constantly trying to hedge your rights, your protection, your interests, you worry and fret rather than trusting God. I want to call you to examine how much do you trust God with those that are around you that you think might come and try to harm you or whose sin might harm you. Now, to clarify, there's wisdom in handling the earthly resources that we've been given um, with wise management and stewardship. That they are a gift from God and we should manage them wisely. We shouldn't be carefree just being like, well, God will give me more. It's okay. Just throw it all out there. But we also shouldn't be so afraid that we have to protect it from everything around us and not trust God that he's going to protect us. God sees you in your needs and knows how to provide. Also, when you trust God, you don't segregate yourself from other people. You don't put up a pile of rocks and say, you stay over there and I'll stay over here so that way you don't hurt me. This can be the temptation, though, sometimes when you see people around you that bring destruction with them. You just want to separate yourselves and keep them at an arm's distance because you don't want to be hurt by them. Now, there might be time when wisdom directs you to distance yourself from someone who is drawing you away and calling you to walk in disobedience. That's different. Or there may be a time where God specifically calls you to separate, separate from a harmful relationship. But what I'm specifically talking about here is that fear that we have when we encounter somebody. And we, within the first seven seconds, make that judgment. This person is going to benefit me or this person is going to cost me. They're either going to bring joy and happiness into my life and so I want to bring around them or they're going to be work and I'm going to have to pour out constantly providing for them resources and emotional energy. And when we make that judgment, we immediately say, I want to be near these people. And these people, I'm going to put a pile of rocks here and say, you stay over there. This is living out of fear, not trusting in God. When Laban is benefiting from Jacob, he begs Jacob to stay. He comes to him and Jacob says, I'm going to leave now and go back to my father. And Laban rolls out the red carpet and says, whatever you want, whatever wages you want, just stay and work because you're benefiting me. Your shepherding is causing my flocks to explode. Not literally, but to expand in number. Um, And Laban wanted the blessing that came with having Jacob around. But now that he's seen God and that God is protecting Jacob, Laban wants him far away. Laban doesn't want anything to do with him. And so he separates. And we can do this with people in our lives too. There's people that maybe being around them brings us an amount of pain or difficulty or suffering. And because of fear or because we just don't want to put up with it, we create distance between ourselves and them rather than trusting God to provide for that relationship. 
And so today, really, the sermon is about the way that we view those around us and how we think that they will impact us. The truth, the foundational truth, is that God's sovereign plan can't be thwarted. It can't be diverted. It can't be changed by others and their intentional action against us or their sin and the consequences of their sin. But this can be really hard to trust when relationships are difficult and painful. If there's somebody in your life that's like a Laban who you know is intentionally trying to harm you or somebody like a Rachel whose sin and whose junk just constantly brings difficulty and pain and agony into your life. As I've been talking, there may have been somebody that came to your mind or maybe a handful of people. And I want to take the last bit of the sermon to address those people. I don't want you to just walk out of here and push that aside. Because that's so often what can happen. Sam will come up and we'll sing a happy song and then we'll have a congregational meeting and you'll vote and you'll never think about that relationship again the rest of the day. And so before we close out, I want to take a few minutes and just give you time to talk with God about this relationship. And I want you, I want to encourage you, if there is someone that God has brought to your mind, that's not me. I haven't mentioned anybody up here that I'm aware of that would have been, oh yeah, David told me I need to go talk to this person. If you feel somebody's heart, someone's name being impressed on your heart, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you, encouraging you to evaluate that relationship. And so I want you to write that name down, either on the bulletin or in your phone, somewhere where you will see it later today um, or later this week. And right now, I want you to spend a few minutes praying just on your own um, and asking God, what is he trying to show us about this relationship? Is there a change that he wants us to make? Is there a way that we're acting and living out of fear and not trusting God with this relationship? And most likely, the few minutes that we spend won't be enough time to pray through this and to really get to closure or get to where you feel like God is giving you direction. So that's why I really want you to write this down, tear off a little piece of paper, put it in your pocket, somewhere that you'll encounter it later so you can go back. As you're praying, let me encourage you to ask a few questions. Ask, am I fearfully avoiding this person? Ask God, what would this relationship look like if you were fully trusting him? If there was no fear and you were fully trusting God, what would this relationship look like? And finally, ask, what is the next step that I should take? Sometimes a step will be reconciliation. Or it might be reaching out to somebody new that you've been avoiding. And sometimes God might be calling you to step away from a friendship like he told Jacob to leave Laban. You need to pray and ask God for wisdom in this. There's no cookie-cutter answer. There's no one-size-fits-all. This is something that, between you and God, you need to pray. And then later today, I really want to encourage you, take time and pray more over this relationship. Don't let this just be something that you evaluate for a little bit on Sunday and then walk away. Actually take time and do the next step.